Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. The year is 1947. Jackie Gleason is seated at a bar having a drink. Next to him is good friend and fellow entertainment icon, Frank Sinatra. Gleason motions to the bartender. Have you tried Jack Daniels, he asks his Rat Pack associate. Sinatra shakes his head no and tries it that night for the very first time. His introduction to the Tennessee distilled whiskey, in many ways, will be the country's introduction to the liquor and the brand. For years after this night, Sinatra would drink Jack Daniels on stage, where he would often refer to it as the nectar of the gods and the best booze in the world. And it becomes what it is today, a major multinational corporation. Frank Sinatra played an integral role in helping make Jack Daniels a household name, synonymous with whiskey the world over. A name that is not renowned, not well-known, not associated with the drink, however, is Nathan Nearest Green. And to properly understand the company, the business, the empire that developed, that is Jack Daniels, it's imperative that you know his story and the impact he had on the brand. That's why we're here. So pour yourself a drink, maybe sticking with coffee, and sit back and relax for another episode of the Missing Chapter Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast. I am Phil Schaff here with Phil Horner. Today, we are drinking cannoli-flavored Utica Coffee Roasting Company coffee. The description here, Phil, tells it all. Experience the sweet indulgence of Utica's favorite Italian pastry in a mug. And for those of you that uh, are listening and wondering, yes, it smells just as good as it tastes, to the point where we've actually set the bag down open because it's amazing amazing delightful smell um so speaking of coffee speaking of beverages mm. raise the nearest glass we're going to raise our nearest mug uh enjoy a cup of coffee here because obviously it's a family show we're not going to be drinking the other stuff right. however yeah. this is uh this is a very very interesting topic i don't think we've 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 gone down this this realm before yeah and some of those some of those beverages that are adult beverages i mean certainly played a very large role in our nation's history very true um and and i'm going to kind of start out phil with this this podcast today from a roundabout way okay i'm going to introduce the 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 title the main person of this podcast but do it kind of from you know a, a, an interesting um, start here. You'll you'll know what I mean in just a minute here. I'm going to introduce you first to a gentleman by the name of James Hemings. Okay. Now, James Hemings was Thomas Jefferson's enslaved chef. Okay. And he traveled with Jeff Jefferson in 1784 to France. And while he was there, he trained in French cooking at the highest culinary level. I mean, if you think of like 
you know, Paris, France today, you think food, yeah. I mean, some of the best institutions when it comes to food prep. Um, so in 1784, it was, it was still that way. And he ended up becoming instrumental, did James Hemmings, in introducing legendary dishes like macaroni and cheese, ice cream, and French fries to the United States. Come on. Now, if you think of those things, those are not really complicated uh, dishes to make, right? They're very simple. Yeah. Okay. And that's going to play a role in this too. Now, did you also know that the same James Hemmings eventually trained his younger brother, Peter, to take his place? Okay. And in the fall of 1813, we fast forwarded a few years, Peter Hemmings learned brewing. And it's likely that he became Peter Hemmings, the first black person in America to be professionally trained as a craft beer brewer. No kidding. Okay. Now. They were obviously enslaved. Now, neither James nor Peter Hemmings was a hobby chef or leisure brewer. Mm -hmm. They're not doing this in their free time. This was their forced way of life. And the enslaved people who crafted new dishes, like your macaroni and cheese, like your French fries, didn't set out to change American cuisine, really. They simply needed to make do with whatever little they had. Okay? So let's switch gears here a little bit the tell and, and tell the story of someone who actually chose. It was their choice to become an expert in the culinary field. So I'm going to introduce you, our Missing Chapter listeners, and our audience today to Nearest Green. That is his name, Nearest, Nearest Green. Green. And okay. I'm guessing, boy, if you're familiar with this name, I'm impressed. Okay, if you're listening to this and you're saying, oh, finally, an episode on Nearest Green, I'm going to be really, really <laughs> impressed. Maybe that's the case. Maybe but some are, golfers uh, are hoping right. for the Nearest Green. Oh, that's a good you know one. There yeah. we go, there we go. Now, around the mid-1800s, Greens and slavers, he started out as a slave, were a firm known as Landis and Green, who lent him out nearest for a fee to a local preacher, the Reverend Dan Call. All right. Okay. So this was typical in an area in which enslaved men were, were commonly involved in the making of alcohol and liquor due to its reputation as being dangerous, dirty work. I mean, so you have an enslaved individual who's own, actually owned by a firm. He's being lent out to help in the production of alcohol to a Reverend Dan Call. And this is something you're dealing with chemicals. You're dealing with, you know, the, the mixing of chemicals. Very often it could cause blindness. It could cause explosions. This is not say, something we flammable. think of today. Right. Yeah. So this is something dangerous. We're going to let Nearest uh, Green help with this. Nearest was known as a skilled distiller who specialized in a process known as sugar maple charcoal charcoal filtering also called the lincoln county process okay so there's i mean this is all it's like an art and there's a science to it the charcoal filtering gives it a very smoky taste it's something that not a lot of people knew about during this time but this method in particular which some historians believe was inspired by the techniques of enslaved men and women who had used charcoal to filter their water and purify their foods in west africa gave greens whiskey a unique smoothness to it, a smoothness that had a unique smoky undertone and very little aftertaste. Hmm. Now, years later, years after this, a seven-year-old white orphan named Jack was sent to Reverend Call's farm to be a, a chore boy. And eventually Jack became Green's apprentice and was taught the Lincoln County process that Green was renowned for. Now, this differentiates bourbon from Tennessee whiskey. 
It was a different process and unique and new for the entire time period. In hindsight, what Nearest was doing and what we kind of recognize that he's responsible for is the Tennessee whiskey we know today. Victoria Edie Butler, Green's descendant and former employer of a unique distillery that I'll mention in just a minute in Tennessee, noted that there would never have been this distillery in Tennessee without Green on the property. Now, the Jack, that was an orphan at the time, seven years old, went to work at Dan Call's farm and learned under the tutorage of of Nearest Green. His full name? You want to take a guess, Phil? Go ahead. You say it. Jack Daniels. I knew it. Jack Daniels. As soon as you said Jack as the orphan. Yeah. And we know, obviously, you know, if you are familiar with even branding, I mean, you don't have to be a drinker of, you know, uh, Jack Daniel whiskey, but the Tennessee label, the black and white label, the number seven label that it's put on, um, you know, says Tennessee whiskey. I mean, it's something that that it prides itself in. It's one of its big um, promotional elements to it. So this relationship would go on for years and years with relatively little interruption. Nearest Green at the end of the Civil War was obviously fully emancipated. And during this time, Reverend Call sold his distillery to a now grown up Jack Daniel. That's unbelievable. So Jack himself, you have two really amazing lives kind of merging here. You have a seven-year-old white orphan who came to work on uh, Call's farm, who at this point now after the U.S. Civil War is inheriting and is buying uh, his farm, the distillery now, from the previous owner. You have Nearest Green, who had been loaned to Reverend Call, who had you know, been uh, a tutor to Jack, who's still working there. And now this distillery, under these two you know, leaders, is really hitting its stride and becoming a very popular, very prosperous business. That is amazing. Yeah. I had no idea where you were going. You know, you started in France, mm-hmm. you went down to Lincoln County, um, the Lincoln County process. Did right. I say that right? Yep. Uh, and then you, and now all that starts to come together because as soon as I, I go back to the title, raise the nearest glass. There you go. It's all making it's sense. It's all coming now. full circle. Like I said, I, I started out in kind of a roundabout way, but we got there. We got wow. there. So Jack Daniel now, who has grown up and has bought the distillery from Reverend Call appoints Nearest Green, uh, by then a free man, mm-hmm. to be the Jack Daniel Distillery's first master distiller, and thus the first black master distiller on record in the United States. Now, sometime after 1881, Daniel ultimately decided to relocate his di- distillery to its current Cave Spring Hollow location, where several of Green's children and grandchildren went on to work for him. Mm-hmm. So this is becoming a family, family thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Nearest's second-born and fourth-born sons, George and Eli, distilled uh, whiskey on the Call Farm alongside Jack Daniel for many years. Although no images of Nearest Green exist, a photograph does exist that shows one of his sons, George, sitting next to then a a grown-up Jack Daniel. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, Phil, I'll leave you with this point right before the break. Seven. Seven generations of Nearest Green's family have worked for the Jack Daniel Distillery and continue to work there on this very day. 
All right, Phil, fantastic first half here. This is this is an awesome story. I love the twists and turns of this thing. Just like any of our episodes, lots of, of twists and turns. The the question I have for you is we were coming on to break. You mentioned the number seven because that was actually a, a question I had in my notes here that I wanted to make sure and get to. Um, the significance of the number seven. I don't know if it's coincidence. I don't know if it's not. But you mentioned there are seven generations. And as soon as we went to break, I said to myself, okay, I got to make sure and remember to ask you once we get back on air, is there any significance or tie between the number seven on the Jack Daniels bottle and the seven generations? Well, like with many brands that are really well known and really big in the country, Phil, um, you know, obviously labeling and branding are extremely important. And if you are familiar or if you want to just do a quick Google search of the Jack Daniels bottle, it's a black and white label. It says Jack Daniels old time. And then directly in the middle of the label, it says old number seven brand. Now, you said, does the seven mean anything? It's kind of debatable. It depends right. on what source you go to. It's one of those things where, you know, Jack Daniel never sat down and said, this is why seven is going to be the number that I put on my bottle. You have a lot of interpretations. So some argue that seven was the founder's lucky number. Why was it lucky? Hmm. Is it coincidence that his lucky number was seven and he started working at the plantation, the farm that would eventually make his you know, family millions at age seven. That seems awfully ironic. The seven generations of, of you know, Nathan nearest green, the, the person who essentially, you know, gave the recipe and the way right. to produce this drink, you know, that would make his, his family that, that wealthy. Others insist it was the seventh batch or recipe attempt that proved successful and was ultimately what Jack and and Nearest decided on. So whether there's any truth or validity or it's just irony that seven seems to be coming up, I kind of go back to some of our previous episodes that pointed out the importance of numbers and how numbers yeah, yeah. continually come up. It depends. Well, it's funny you bring that up too because when you said the number seven and then the coincidences and, and it's kind of a well-known brand, obviously. So you, you think of the logo and immediately you see mm -hmm. oh, number seven. Why number seven? Um, at least that's where my curiosity mind goes to. And I, I think to some of the well-known brands around the world, like Baskin Robbins, they pride oh, themselves. Right. They put the number 31 directly in their BR logo. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the arrow in FedEx that everyone, yeah. once you see it, you can't unsee yeah. it. So it was just one of those things where I, I was just very curious. No, and, and I brought it up. So I'm glad that, that, we, that we went back to it. I think, you know, one of the things I, I enjoyed about this story is that you, you have two really underdogs. Mm. Um, you know, essentially a slave, later on an indentured servant uh, who becomes a freeman, working with a young orphan who create this together. And by all purposes, had a very close friendship. Yeah. And, and they, prior to the days of two people of different cultures and different colors working together, these two were. And it's something that you see today. So next time you see this in a store, you know, there's more to that label. Than, than just, hey, this is, uh, this is whiskey. But, you know, Jack Daniel and his descendants would make their family fortune from their whiskey company over the decades. I mean, that goes without saying. Mm -hmm. In 1956, the Daniel family sold Jack Daniel whiskey to Brown Foreman. And in 1956, they sold this for an estimated $20 million, which would equate to $190 million oh. by today's standards. Jeez. So while Nathan Nearest Green and his descendants uh, do appear to have been paid fairly by the Daniel family for their labor over the years, they don't seem to have owned any of the distillery. 
They didn't have any stock in the company and consequently didn't get any of the millions from the sale. Oh, wow. Okay. So for a long time, Nathan Nearest Green's name, his family's legacy, uh, any contribution to whiskey were largely unknown to anyone outside of Lynchburg, Tennessee, mm -hmm. who either knew him, knew Jack Daniel, knew the story as it kind of, you know, filtered its way through Tennessee and the local areas. Now, interestingly, according to post-Civil War census data, Nearest Green and his family owned sizable plots of land and were wealthier than many white families living in Lynchburg because of their work and their financial compensation by the Jack Daniel Distillery. So their work there allowed them to become wealthy. But you certainly look at the sale of the company. They didn't benefit from that. And that's a sizable I would chunk say, of, oh of my money. Gosh, yeah. yeah. So the idea arose not too long ago to start a whiskey company that recognizes recognizes and champions nearest greens impact on whiskey as you know in general and the far-reaching impact that green had on the late 19th early 20th centuries by 2009 just a couple of years ago some 40 million dollars had been raised from a variety of investors to create uncle nearest premium whiskey later in that same year 2019 the nearest green distillery in shelbyville tennessee was opened Victoria Edie Butler, who I mentioned earlier, the descendant of Green, is currently employed as the distillery's master blender. That's amazing. Wow. What an end. Thank you for joining us. Until next time. I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.